A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Philadelphia, in a town called Lafayette Hill. So it's a northwestern suburb. Nice. Yeah, I'm about a mile and a half from uh, Penn's campus. You know, my, my wife, as you know, is finishing up her PhD. And so being close to campus makes it an easy commute for us. Excellent. All right. And it's also been an easy commute to be able to go watch the, uh, the Penn Quakers compete the last couple of years and, you know, kind of see them uh, rebuild the program, you know, and the, the start of the movement, as, as you guys have, have kind of tagged it, has been pretty impressive to watch uh, over the last couple of years to really see that growth and improvement. You know, before we kind of jump into what's going on with Penn right now, um, you know, today we kind of want to focus on what, what is the mental approach that allows athletes and specifically wrestlers to be successful. And, uh, you know, to kind of start us off with that, tell us a little bit about your background as a coach, you know, what you've, you know, kind of what's your trajectory has looked like and, you know, your, your time with the University of Pennsylvania's program. Yep. So, you know, I went to Penn, I wrestled uh, at Penn and was an assistant coach for two years. And um, as an assistant coach, I was making an application to grad school. I really didn't, you know, think of myself uh, as having a career as a head coach. But then, um, you know, two years after I graduated and still in some some grad classes, my coach at the time, Larry Lockley, retired. And so the job opened up. I was 24 years old and uh, just young and audacious enough to go for it. So, um, I went for the job and I had always really enjoyed, you know, working with uh, young people at camps at clinics while I was in college um, and got a lot of fulfillment out of that. So it really kind of was a, an organic um, take to coaching. And, uh, and I was hired, um, you know, at 24 years old. So I was the youngest division one head coach in the country um, and had a lot to learn. So, uh, so I really, you know, early on in my career, I tried to surround myself with, um, you know, people who were exceptional coaches um, in wrestling primarily, but also sometimes out of wrestling colleagues at Penn. And, um, and I think like all of us in, in coaching, you know, like, um, you know, it's a kind of a tapestry, right? We take a little bit of piece from different people. We kind of blend it into, you know, what we feel is most meaningful for our style. Um, and so, you know, that kind of continued. And I think, you know, for us, it was about, you know, six, seven years into it. Um, where we really started to turn the corner and things started accelerating. Um, and then, you know, part of, uh, I was very fortunate, you know, to build a strong relationship with Dave Schultz, uh, Jim Humphrey, Brian Dolph, 
Uh, a lot of the guys that we're training out of Foxcatcher and really tap into their expertise. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think that uh, really helped me kind of think of a no limits, you know, philosophy to coaching the guys at Penn. So I tried to bring that in and instill that. And, um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, no matter what um, aspect of life, you know, sometimes we put, we put limits on ourselves, you know, that are just arbitrary. Um, and so really trying to exercise that muscle of what happens if I don't limit myself has been a big part of, big part of my coaching emphasis. Yeah. Um, I mean, have there been times that you look back on, I don't know, yourself as an athlete or yourself as a coach and realize that those limits that you placed on yourself had, had hampered your own development or the development of the team you were working with? Yeah, I, I think so for sure. And, and I think, um, I'll credit Dave Schultz as, you know, a good friend and, and uh, mentor and someone who really kind of blew the lid off, you know, like what happens if, um, you know, we approach things with a kind of a no limits, uh, no limits philosophy. And, um, you know, whether it was technique or, you know, different ways to train or, you know, scouting opponents or what have you. Um, and it's really liberating. Right. And I think it's also a much more optimistic way to approach life. It's almost kind of a, you know, let's see if as opposed to, you know, projecting what some some result might be i think it's a much more positive mindset i would agree i would agree and you know obviously mindset is a big part of what i do on a day-to-day -day basis and a big part of you know the mission of, of wrestling mindset really is to try to take mindset training you know standardize it to a certain extent even though every individual and every team is going to be different and need to be approached slightly differently than others um and and use that as kind of uh, an area to give teams and individuals a mental edge or, you know, eliminate, uh, I hesitate to say disability, but like, uh, you know, a, a, something that is holding back their performance. You yeah. know, I, I always say there's nothing more frustrating than watching an athlete that's doing everything right. That's, you know, he's got a great sleep pattern. You know, he's eating correctly. He's training correctly. He's working on his strength and his technique. And then mentally something is just kind of holding them back. Um, you know, so for yourself as a coach, you know, how significant do you think the mental side of the sport is? And do you think it's something that coaches and athletes focus enough on? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a tremendous question and a fundamentally important question. Um, and my answer is that, you know, I think the mental aspect of, of the sport of wrestling is incredibly important. I think that, um, you know, we will ask our athletes, you know, different times during the year, you know, like, at what point do you think, uh, you know, what percentage of success is mental, right? And this is assuming, you know, uh, physical preparation. This is assuming some experience levels. This is assuming, um, you know, like technical preparation to a reasonable degree. Uh, but with those things relatively in place, you know, most athletes will come back and say 80, 85, 90%. Um, and I would agree with that. Um, and yet, if you think about the amount of time that we put into it, we don't put near that percentage of time into it. If it's that important, yet we don't spend the time to develop those skills, like how are we exercising that, that, that mental preparation muscle, right? Um, so I think it's incredibly important. You know, some years back, um, you know, I, I saw a survey that came from the Olympics, and it talked about visualization, and they had surveyed Olympic athletes. You know, and the question was, you know, what, what percentage of Olympic athletes practice visualization on a daily basis, right? So daily Olympic athletes, cross all sports, daily visualization practice, and it was well over 90%. 
of the survey respondents. So there's your elite athletes across all sports. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. No question. Visualization is one of those, one of those big ones. One of the ways that I've, I have been thinking about it recently and we've been as a team kind of, um, you know, working with clients and teams is talking about how, you know, motivation or confidence, um, is it has to be something that's daily. You know, we, every day your body needs sleep every day, your body needs food. It needs water. Um, Every day it needs exercise if you're going to keep growing stronger or faster. Every day we need to be doing something towards our motivation, something towards our confidence. You know, I think it's too late. That, that day that you wake up and you need to be motivated to go work hard, if you haven't done the prep work to motivate yourself when you did feel very motivated, um, I think the day that you don't, I think it's a lot harder to get started. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, like daily visualization is one of those, those techniques that can be very effective in, in building that confidence, building that motivation keeping the athlete focused and, and believing that it's possible. You know, it kind of goes back to that no limits. If you can't visualize something, if you've never in your mind been able to accomplish a goal, how can you physically believe that you can go do it? Yeah. You know, and yeah. I, I think that's definitely a technique that helps there. You know, so obviously there's lots of different mental techniques, different uh, mental approaches to sports. What are some of maybe the, the highlights um, that you utilize with the, the UPenn team um, to try to help them grow mentally as athletes and individuals? Yep. Yeah, I think here's the, you know, getting into the tools. So we agree that the mental aspect of wrestling is incredibly important to success, right? So what are we going to do? How are we going to actualize that? What are we going to work on? You know, one of the things that we start with um, early in the fall with all of our athletes is we'll sit down and we'll go through a goal meeting, right? And in those goals, we have, it's about a three-page document we work through. We work through physical goals. We work through mental attitude goals. And we work through technical goals. Um, and, you know, some of, we have some time in these goal sheets, some space for the long-term goals, right? The outcome-oriented goals. You know, what do I want to accomplish this year in wrestling? What do I want to accomplish lifetime in wrestling? But we really have a very small space for each of those. And that's by design because where we put most of the work is in the process, right? We're really focused on process-oriented goals. So knowing that here's the destination, you know, down the road of where we want to get, you know, what's the roadmap that gets us there? What are some milestones? What are we going to do? And then we, we put a piece in that typically makes people really uncomfortable, which is the, a date. I'm going to do X by this date. I'm going to do Y by that date, right? And, uh, and then it takes it kind of from, you know, kind of the mental imagery of, yeah, I want to be on the – you know, top of the podium at the EIWA championships, you know, I want to be an All-American, I want to be an NCAA champion, I want to be an Olympian, those things, you know, are so easy to roll off your tongue, right? But how do you get there? You know, for Brandon Slay, who went on and, and after Penn, you know, went to the Olympic Games in Sydney and, and won gold there, we had a three-year plan for him, process-oriented goals by month, what was going to happen over those three years. And I think that's where the real work gets done. But one of, the, one of the pieces in that uh, goal form is for the athletes to give us feedback, and particularly the freshmen, um, how they like to be talked to and, and teammates and, and coaches supporting them pre-batch. You know, and, and the options are you like to be left alone as a question, or do you, uh, is being supportive more helpful to you or, or challenging you or making you laugh or making you angry, right? So those are the five options that we give, and then we have discussion around it. You know, some people love jokes before they go out. They need to lighten up. They're already wound really tight, right? 
And, uh, you know, I've even been at, at tournaments where I've got a, a pocket full of really bad jokes that I break out and it just kind of melts the, melts the tension. Other people don't want any part of that, right? And that's fine. They want a challenge, right? And so, so we have this discussion about, you know, what they like pre-match. And, and that's one of the starters, um, kind of the, to initiate, you know, our understanding as coaches of how all these guys are different. And we can't expect their needs to be the same. Uh, that's, a, I think, a really key to being a highly successful coach is, is having the empathy to understand what's most important to each athlete, understand where they are, and kind of meeting them where they are. And, and that takes a breadth of um, skill set on the coach's part. You know, it's not a cookie-cutter approach at all, in my view. Um, so I'll talk a little bit more, and I'll give you a Dave Schultz story about kind of like expanding – um, a skill set as a coach, which I, I think is a lot of fun to share. But some of the other things, back to your question, Jake, in terms of the things that we'll do, we do uh, a lot of work on just uh, on breathing and how breathing can reset mental focus probably quicker than anything and how to take it, make sure we're taking advantage of, you know, those opportunities where we go out of bounds and there's a break to take that really deep breath, to have, make eye contact with your coach and to be able to focus, right? And, uh, or between periods and really any break that you get blood timeout, we ought to, we ought to start that with a really deep breath, kind of refocus mentally. Right. And so we practice that. Right. Um, and then as we get closer to competition, we'll do team visualization and, you know, we'll spread guys out on the mat and, you know, talk them through, you know, muscle relaxation techniques, you know, throughout their body to get them, you know, generally relaxed, uh, because the visualization is, is more effective in a relaxed state. And then we'll talk them through and we'll do this as a team. Um, and I learned this from a, a great uh, high school coach by the name of Kevin McCleary, who I worked with. He's out of York, Pennsylvania. Kevin and his team now, he's focused on running the tables at conference championships and NCAA championships. Those table workers are, are typically like Kevin's. But he went, uh, he sat a, a group of Pennsylvania cadets as we were going out to Fargo to the cadet national championships and took them through a visualization technique. I was the head coach at Penn and I was watching this club coach and I was like, this is really effective on an individual level. And there was also a um, kind of a team bonding that happened at that time afterwards that I really took notice of. And just for all of us to be able to take some time and pause and relax together, I think is incredibly important. Uh, our lives are so busy, typically, you know, the student athletes at Penn, you know, Ivy League academic demands with Division One wrestling, you know, high aspirations, high goals. They're all high performers, type A type, you know, performers. So just to take 15 or 20 minutes and relax together and focus on these goals, and these mental skills is really a team, team bonding experience as well as us teaching them the individual skills that they can do this, you know, on their own. Because ultimately, when we get to the Midlands or the conference championships or the NCAA championships, we can't take the whole team through visualization. So we want to train them up to be able to take them through themselves. Right. And so that's a big piece of what we do. Yeah. And I, I love the approach that really you just look at it like, like technique, you know, coaches coach technique every single day, you know, they coach how to get stronger, how to get faster, how to get in better shape. And, I think the more we try to look at mindset the same way, there is a way to coach this. Uh, so often, I think, and I think this a lot of it just comes just from lack of lack of, of knowledge or experience with it. 
Um, and I know I was guilty of this as a young coach myself of, you know, just telling, telling guys, Oh, you got to be confident. And then the question's always asked, well, well how? Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the more I've learned and that's, it's, it's like anything else, you know, I spent from the time I was five until I was, you know, 21 as an, just as an athlete being taught technique. And then there was just very few moments where people were teaching, you know, those mental skills, um, and I think the more great coaches look at how do I directly teach the mental skills, the better they're going to be able to Im- impact their athletes when it comes down to that difficult position, you know, that, that tournament where they're feeling extra pressure, you know, which is what we strive to do every single day. You know, and it's what I, I, I love to do. And I've, you know, I didn't realize this was going to be the passion my, uh, my life would take. I knew that wrestling was something I always wanted to be involved with because of what it, it gave me and what it did for me. And I wanted to pass that on. Otherwise, I felt like it was a little selfish, honestly. Um, and like, but when I started learning more about the mental approach and like that, it was so teachable. If you have the right experience, if you've got the um, the knowledge, or if you're gaining that knowledge, um, it really has taken me and put me in a direction that I've really enjoyed and really loved. You know, but like yourself, there's a lot of great coaches that are looking to teach mindset as well. Um, and uh, you know, it's 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 kind of funny. I, th- I think you talk about every athlete is, is different. Every athlete's an individual. Um, I, it's the same with technique, right? You know, you don't coach every wrestler to wrestle the exact same way, right? If you got a real tall guy, he's probably going to wrestle a little different than like us short stocky guys that are about five, six, you know, and expecting everybody to respond, you know, before a match to the same coaching from your end, you know, isn't, um, I, I don't think it's going to come to be a truth. I think it's going to get you uneven results across different athletes and it's, you know, anytime a coach expects an athlete to meet them where they're at, rather than the coach expect to meet the athlete where they're at, I think you're going to have um, issues in that performance piece. Yeah. You know, so obviously all these athletes are different. Are there certain trends or certain, you know, uh, mental outlooks that you have seen amongst the most successful wrestlers that you think are at least a good general guideline, you know, for a young wrestler that's trying to, you know, reach big goals, really go after big dreams. Are there certain um, maybe mental viewpoints or beliefs um, in the sport, something like, you know, not putting limits on yourself that you have seen that are effective for most athletes, you know, during your, your coaching career? I mean, you started coaching in uh, what, 1986? 19, 1986, yep, as the head coach. All right, so that's, so as a head coach since 1986 with a, with a, a short little break there in the, the, the 2000s, um, so are there some of those mental approaches you've kind of seen or those mental beliefs that you've seen allowed athletes to be successful or maybe yeah. mental beliefs that you have seen that hold athletes back if they yeah. fall into that trap? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll answer that in two different ways. And I think maybe um, the first part of the answer geared towards the coaches that may be listening here and the second, you know, to the, to the athletes. Um, so I'll share this story that, that uh, I learned uh, you know, kind of great lesson from Dave Schultz. And, you know, we were at a point where our team was really starting to progress and, and make a lot of ground nationally. And we were running into, you know, a lot of success getting to the leg and high crotches and not being able to finish um, as well as we as we wanted to against higher level opponents. So I had a moment where I was on the mat with Dave and, you know, I asked him, I'm like, Dave, you know, we're really struggling with this technical area. You know, can you help me? Now, how do you like to finish your high crotches? Right. And so I just wanted him, you know, he was the master of the sport, right? He's going to just make it simple for me, I thought. 
as a young coach. And so he's like, well, you know, I like to do this here and, and uh, you know, I'll keep my ear really tight to the hip. That's a big key. And, you know, this is typically how I like to finish. And he paused for a little bit and I was like, well, that's great. Cause then we'll spend all of our time on that. Everybody will do it perfectly. And my problem will be solved as a coach, right? Very simple. That's what I was looking for. But then Dave kind of being the master that he, that he was, um, you know, went on, he says, well, you could also finish this way. And he gave another option there. And you, know, you can finish this way as well. I like these. And I don't do these, but here's like five or six other ways that other people finish. And, you know, now we were up into the double digits of finishes. And my face, I, I, could, I knew it was just starting to go blank because I was going to have to remember all these precious uh, uh, technical uh, pieces of instruction. And, uh, and then he said, but, you know, like your athletes, they don't need to know all these different finishes. And I kind of took a big sigh of relief. And he's like, but you do. You need to know them all because some will apply to some athletes. Others will, you know, apply to other athletes. They only need to know one or two, right? But you, if you want to be a great coach, you need to know them all and then decide how they apply. And I would say that, you know, that was a huge moment for me as a coach just to step back, have some humility, and really think about the breadth of knowledge that um, I could be expected to have or um, I should have of myself. And I, I took that responsibility on. And I think the mental approach is very similar. It's very analogous, Jake, that, um, you know, not the same answer is going to apply to all the athletes. So I'll shift now and answer your question from the coaches to the athletes. And I would say a couple things to hone in on. One is, you know, try and minimize the focus on the result and keep your focus on the moment and what you need to do next. What's the next best place? What's the next best uh, hand fighting position? What's the next best motion? What's gonna open up your attack on your feet? And very simple, you know, first move on top, first move on bottom and focus on these key areas and let your instincts take over, you know, as the match progresses, right? And I think that whenever we have one of those breakthrough moments or those aha moments, where we got we found the flow state in our competition um, we want to bottle that moment we want to remember what that feels like emotionally we want to remember what our warm-up was like leading into that what kind of thoughts we had leading into that and this is the individual athlete's responsibility i believe to try and capture that moment working with their coach or coaches right because it's going to be different for everybody but when, when you have that moment, you've found that flow state, you know, um, my advice to, to people is put that in a bottle, keep it with you. You had it, you experienced it. Uh, you can pull that out, remind yourself what that felt like, take yourself through the same warm up, take yourself through the same thought process, and just try and replicate that as best you can. And I think honing in on that, you know, narrows the, um, you know, the requirement of what you really need to be thinking about. You don't need to create a new warm-up you know every time out you don't want to do that once you nail a good warm-up stick with that and be consistent um, so I think that I think that's a really important kind of very individual um, athlete athlete answer to your question yeah no I, I love that I a lot of times kind of think about it like um, the performance equation right and it's like there's different you, there should be more constants in your equation in your preparation for a match yeah. than variables the more yeah. variables you have the more likely it is that you're going to not reach that flow state you know which i always remembered as an athlete um, it was like you get off the mat you don't you're like 
coach, I, I know I wrestled great. I know I scored. I don't even kind of remember what I did. It just kind of, my body just took over. And the more mm-hmm. athletes can find that ability to just kind of almost turn your brain off and like, let yourself just wrestle, you know? And I think, um, it's, it's difficult, but I think all of us that have experienced it, you know, are seeking that again. And you know, mm-hmm. I think there, I think you're, you're absolutely right that there are certain things that help us get there. You know, you talked about earlier how you want your coaches to interact with you. Are you trying to be in a very like relaxed mood, a very serious mood? I mean, and we'll see the difference across athletes or even across families. I was a very intense person when I warmed up and my youngest brother, he wanted to be laughing and joking, and have a big smile on his face. And mm-hmm. I, you know, it's definitely not the same answer for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as an individual, you know, one of the things we recommend is sit down and write out what are your three best performances and what did you do yep. ahead of those that enabled that? What were the thoughts you were telling yourself? And then on the, on the other end, just like with technique, you know, if you don't know what bad technique looks like, it's hard to avoid it, you know? And so like, also look at your three worst performances. What were the times that you really did not perform well? Um, and what went wrong? Was there certain things you were telling yourself? Was your mind in a certain place? Um, you know, was there a certain pressure that you were putting on yourself before that match that caused that? And I think you're absolutely right to, you know, put the focus on the moment and the performance rather than the outcome. Cause I can say yep. there's a couple matches that I wrestled that I lost, but I would still put them as one of my top five performances where mm-hmm. whether it was somebody that had really decimated me the first time we wrestled. And then I came back and wrestled them really, really solid and was in the match close to winning. Um, and times that I won, that it was, it was ugly and it didn't look very good. It didn't feel very good. I didn't want to replicate that. And, you know, that realization that I can produce great performances if I look at this more scientifically and, you know, a win and a loss doesn't necessarily mean I wrestled good or I wrestled bad. You know, it's like I, the way I term it a lot is if I've wrestled Jordan Burroughs and if I got a takedown, I'm probably leaving that mat happy, especially as somebody that doesn't compete, you know, every single, uh, every single year. You know, and I think that's that's big for a lot of young athletes to realize is like a win doesn't always mean things are good. It can it can hide flaws. It can hide mistakes. And those losses sometimes are the most revealing, sometimes the most significant moments in your career if you take them as such. Yeah, I agree with you that. Know, so you've 100%. been coaching for, you know, decades. You know, you've been a leader of, you know, the PIN program for a long time. Um, you know, one of the things I hear a lot of coaches talking about is, you know, the difference in generations and how athletes have changed over time. And, you know, maybe how even the mindsets have changed and that mindset maybe is more important now with athletes coming to high school programs or even college programs, not quite as prepared as maybe they used to be, whether it be with hard work, with dedication, with discipline. Um, Have you seen a change over over the decades in the athletes that you've coached or high schoolers that you've recruited. And like, you know, what are your thoughts on that as, as far as how you handle that or how you think about that as a coach? Yeah, I, I think this is a, a really important question and it takes me back. Um, you know, when I first took the, the program over at Penn in my mid twenties and I was hearing coaches, really veteran coaches that were, um, were talking about, they were saying the same things then kids aren't like what they used to this generation's different and you know I, I I thought about that a lot just in listening and trying to be a quick learner as a young coach um, I tried to understand you know what the you know what the genesis of that comment was and then over my career you know I've heard coaches kind of repeat that and repeat that um, and sure kids are different 
There's lots of things that are changing in the world. I mean, the pace of change in our world is phenomenal, right? However, at the same time, I mean, there's there's core uh, needs of of any you know young young adult um, that I think are are very constant, right? So, I think this is uh, this is the key to me that the difference between being a you know a good coach or an adequate coach and a great coach is this notion of empathy. And by that, I mean, really understanding what's going on in that person's world, right, on an individual basis. And again, going kind of back to that Schultz technique, like uh, to be nimble enough as a coach to be able to meet people where they are, regardless of their family background, regardless of what technology is coming into play in our lives these days, um, regardless of economic trends or um, all these things. I mean, there's there's still core needs as humans that we all have. And to be able to, to serve those young adults as they go through the process of, you know, getting their feet fully on the ground, you know, to go off in, in, into life. I mean, this is our job as college coaches. It's not our job, I feel. It's not our job to comment on, you know, the, the difference of generations. And, and so many coaches, I think, kind of throw their hands up like they're not able to communicate anymore. And to me, as soon as I heard some of those those more veteran coaches when I came onto the scene, uh, my initial feeling was, you know, these guys aren't going to keep pace. You know, they've already given up just because things are different. Um, and and I just uh, I, I watched it happen. Um, you know, those coaches lose connection with their teams and their athletes, and um, and there's no need for that. I don't think. Uh, I think as long as if, if the coach's emphasis is on empathy and their focus is on empathy, right? Um, you're able to understand, you know, have the, the willingness to understand what's going on in that person's world. I think that's the only way that you're going to be able to pull that extra, extra, extra effort out of that student athlete is once you understand what's going on in their world, how they're feeling, how they're thinking, what their challenges are. Um, and it's also, I think, a, a much more interesting way to coach, to stay current, to stay uh, con be contemporary, you know, with today's modern world and understand what's going on in the technology, right? And to be able to communicate and speak that same language, you know, I think we grow as coaches, we grow as people um, to be able to have that kind of commitment. So hopefully that, that answers your question, but I think it's a really important yeah, question. That's great. I would, I would tend to agree that, you know, I, I've always tried to look at it as an, as an opportunity. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, at my age, I'm still much closer to those, those, uh, those age groups that I'm working with on a regular basis. But, you know, it's an opportunity for ourselves to continue to grow and prosper. You know, we're either growing or we're dying. You know, we're not, nobody stands still, nobody stays at the same level. And as far as, you know, I'll, I'll hit, hit you with a little of my, my ancient history knowledge, because I was a history major at Penn. And, uh, you know, Hesiod, you know, which is one of the oldest Greek texts, um, talks about the different ages of man, which is this exact same concept. There was this golden age where men were, you know, the most moral. They lived a very long time. They were so powerful. And then it devolved into a silver age and then eventually a bronze age, which is what they considered their own time period. And so I, I really think this is, you know, uh, either a human or a societal trait to look back at the past with nostalgia and with like, you know, those rose-colored glasses of like, that was the perfect time. And, you know, we can't go back and change the past, right? We can only be in the present and be planning for the future. And I think it's the same thing as, uh, as wrestling. Are you trying to hold on to your accomplishments from last year? 
or are you trying to figure out what's the next way to move forward? And I, I'm forgetting the source I kind of got it from, but uh, I was listening to somebody talk about like, you know, world competitions. And they said, you know, most countries and their coaches are studying, you know, where the points are scored at the world championships or the Olympics to try to plan the next cycle of training and the techniques that they're going to be working on. And then they said, and the, the problem is that the Russians are trying to create that next wave of technique and those next positions that are going to be their emphasis and their focus. And so rather than trying to study what has happened, they're trying to plan for the next one and what's going to work next. You know, very similar to the idea of generals often fight the last war, right? You know, they take the, the lessons from the past and they try to take those and use those in the present. And I think as coaches, I think you're absolutely right. Um, if we're going to create those relationships and have the impact we want, which is, you know, my view of coaching is I want to make great wrestlers. I want to see them compete. I want to see them win. I want to see them have success and reach those goals. But in the end, I want to create a great relationship and make a better person, you know, cause I, and I, I really think any authentic coaching or any authentic coach that has that empathy that you're talking about has to care about an individual more deeply than just their success. We want to see the success, but we want to see them develop as a person. And if we're going to be able to, uh, mentor them and do that, we have to be able to stay relevant and connect with those individuals. So I, I think that's mm -hmm. a great way to look at it, Coach. And, um, you know, I, I would say it's probably a big reason that the, the UPenn program is on the rise is, you know, you take that to your coaching. And I think um, one of the biggest things I've noticed is everybody on the team is there regardless of whether or not they've had to leave due to injury or, you know, they've left the team for some other reason they're still in the stands. They're still around on match day. And uh, there is a huge core of people that are in college and they're, you can just see the family atmosphere. And I think mm -hmm. that speaks to the relationship that you've created with them and the team culture with that empathy that exists. So I want to hear a little bit about um, you Penn and where, where you're going. And you shared a little bit about the vision with me, but real quick, before we jump into that, um, you know, obviously we're in this period where there's a lot of uncertainty and a quote that I, I read that really spoke to me about this today was um, as a leader, if you can't control the situation, you need to look to control your response. Um, and that's where you can, you know, find your power and find your ability to lead, you know, and right now there's going to be a lot of people that are in tough times, people losing jobs, uh, people struggling economically, unfortunately people getting sick and people passing away, you know, but this is a, a period that, you know, I, as an individual, don't want to stay stagnant. I want to see if I can continue to impact, not just see, I want to continue to impact individuals and teams. And I want to continue prospering in my own life, growing as an individual. You know, so what, what are some things that you're doing uh, with UPenn to make sure the team's still progressing? And what would you recommend to coaches out there or athletes out there as far as how to take this opportunity um, and, and grow during this period, you know, when there are limited distractions? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a it's an incredibly important question. And, um, you know, I think the first step is exactly what you just said there, Jake, which is to, to look at this as as my opportunity to figure out ways to grow, to be creative um, and to be you know open and optimistic about progress that can be made under these circumstances. So uh, for us, what we're doing at first, the very first thing we did is, is make a list of things we can't do and things we can do. Right. And all of a sudden, that list of things we can do uh, when we put some creativity around it, has, it's just grown and grown and grown. 
So there's, there's quite a bit programmatically that we're doing right now as, as coaches and as staff. Um, with regard to our team, you know, they're uh, in classes remotely. So us supporting them, uh, we have a great advantage with Matt Valenti, who's a Penn alum and a two-time NCAA champion. He runs the Center for Student-Athlete Success at Penn. So Matt and his staff have provided great support around our student-athletes as, they, you know, as they're now studying remotely. So just encouraging them to, to have a really strong schedule, stick to that schedule, have that discipline, um, and kind of create um, a schedule that's, uh, you know, that's holistic, that includes their physical activity, includes their studying, you know, includes, you know, being a good family member at home, right, and helping out around home. Um, so, uh, we, you know, we, we talk with our guys about the, the mental capacity of athletes, and the ability to handle adversity and the ability to be resilient. So in the big picture, you know, I think athletes in general and wrestlers specifically um, are better prepared for this if they tap into that, how do I handle adversity? How do I handle when I lose the first takedown or get thrown to my back off the start, right? Do I, do I give up? Do I battle back? Do I find a way, right? And that kind of attitude applied to our current environment I think opens up all kinds of opportunities in terms of how we can gain strength you know, how we can work on our footwork, um, how we can work on our conditioning and overall fitness, you know, physically and, and mentally. So I think there's a tremendous amount that can be done. We're also doing a lot of film review via Zoom as a group and individually. And I think that um, one of the things that, that I find as a college coach is some athletes, you know, come in as freshmen um, and they're, they're attuned to watching film and scouting opponents, and others are not at all. And this is a mental um, aspect of us developing college athletes to be their best, is to try and grow their circle of the ability to process scouting information without um, it turning into the athlete only thinking about what the other guy does, right? Um, we want to be able to find um, opportunities uh, for our attacks. We want to be able to be prepared to counterattack knowing the tendencies of our opponent. So growing the uh, kind of the muscles of being able to scout and process this information um, is something we're spending a lot of time on right now. Yeah, that's great. You know, and I always wonder, and this is a question that we get because one of our big focuses is, you know, put most of your attention when you go wrestle on yourself and your plan and what you're going to do rather than worrying too much about your opponent. But I do think there's definitely a balance for that. You know, if I'm going into a match and I know somebody likes to wrestle from outside of ties and I like ties, you know, I got to have a plan to deal with that. Um, do you think that there is a focus, like, do you think there's a positive way to scout and a negative way to scout as far as like the way that that impacts your, um, your approach or your strategy for a match? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. I think that like every athlete's different, you know, in terms of their physical attributes, which you mentioned, and also kind of like their, um, their flow state emotionally, right? It's the same thing in terms of processing scouting information. Everybody's different. Um, and I think of it like, you know, kind of like the bullseye and the dartboard and then the surrounding rings. And, and we want to just, uh, wherever we are today, in terms of being able to process scouting information um, and still feel free to compete thinking about what we do, not focused overly on what the opponent does. We just want to grow that to the next ring. And, you know, we want to be comfortable. We don't want to jump too far out of our comfort zone, but we want to be able to stretch a little bit to be able to process. 
And we want to get, especially, you know, our, our, our national caliber guys, guys that are competing at the NCAAs. I mean, sometimes we've got a very short window between rounds. And, you know, we may have scouted that opponent earlier in the year, but we may want to brush up pretty quickly. And we need to be able to sit down with that, that athlete, you know, watch some film in between matches or the, the coaches will watch it and filter it to the athlete. Uh, but we want to have, we want to be prepared. You know, we don't want to be uh, out in the middle of that match and then, you know, like your your uh, mention of the Russians, them being a step ahead. Like we don't want that happening to to us in our matches. We want to be a step ahead. Um, so so yes, I think um, you know the focus has got to be on understanding what that opponent's tendencies are and how that fits with what I do really well, right? So it's all com it comes back to me. My fireman's carry is going to work on this person because he digs underhooks, right? Yeah, you know, my arm spin's going to work. They reach with this hand, I'm going to post, right? And so we've taken that film and digested it and processed it, um, you know, and, and taken it back to what we want to do. And, uh, and our focus is back on ourselves. I really, uh, I strongly advise against a lot of scouting close to competition. I mean, proper scouting um, you know, ought to be done, like, if possible, uh, many weeks or months in advance because um, it takes some time to kind of sink in and you want to be able to take it to the mat, right? So we don't only want to watch the match if that person reaches with that hand, but we want to get reps, you know, and probably around a thousand reps. So how long does that take? I mean, it's, we're talking months, right? So when we're talking really key in, um, keying in on high level opponents, a known, uh, known competitor, we want ample time to be able to review the film and then take it to the mat get our reps in and then it's all second nature yeah and I, I love how you are you're anchoring that in like the the work that you do it's not enough just to know right it's there there should actually be an action that takes place after that yep. i think that's really really yep. impactful um all right well thank you for that um that's that's one of those nuances that uh that comes up that you know i always try to pick pick individuals brains on that when i when i got an opportunity so kind of to, to finish up um, and I, cause I know your time's valuable. Um, I'm, you know, and I really appreciate you coming on. I've, I've learned a lot. I, I hope everybody has enjoyed the content that we've, we've talked about and, you know, you pin as a program on the rise and, you know, I'm, I'll have to throw it out there. I'm probably a little biased as a, as a UPenn alum, but, um, you know, I think the, the growth in the program over the last couple of years and where I believe it's going is, is impressive. So can you talk a little bit about your team's vision and, you know, how you kind of created that um, and, you know, what you're looking forward to and where UPenn is going as a, as a wrestling program. Yep. Well, I appreciate it. It's an incredibly exciting time, um, you know, and, and we've got Penn alums, you know, working on a daily basis. Um, is running the Pennsylvania RTC. So, you know, what a great pleasure it is for, for he and I to be able to work together. And then Matt Valenti, you know, one of our most decorated of all time, uh, multiple NCAA champion. Matt's the uh, assistant athletic director who oversees wrestling in addition to the, the student development, student support. Um, so, you know, having us being able to work together and having deep roots in the program, I think, is, you know, is really important. We understand the university. We understand the program inside out. And um, we've got tremendous support from our alumni. Um, Penn hosted the first collegiate wrestling tournament 
all the way back in 1905. So our list of alumni is as long um, as anybody's and, and they're very motivated both behind Penn Wrestling as well as the, the PRTC. So our, so our vision is really big. Um, when I agreed to come back and take the program over, I talked with several alumni before making that decision. And I said, like, if, if I'm going to do this, like, let's, we're going to go big. Are you in? And uh, I had a hundred percent response rate from those key alumni. Like if you're in, I'm in, let's go big. And that's one of our core, core values is aiming big. And um, so, you know, our, our program has had, um, you know, I'll say humbly, but we, you know, we've been in the top 20, the top 15, the top 10 of the NCAA before. Um, and our mid-range goals is to is to get back to that that place where we're challenging for Ivy League titles, EIWA titles. We're in contention, and um, and that's going to put us in that top 10 in the NCAA range. Um, but we want to go beyond that. Uh, we want to have continue that no limits philosophy, and let's see, let's see what we can do. And I think we've got the pieces in place that are going to move our program forward, you know, to where we're challenging for, you know, bringing hardware home from the NCAAs, you know, being one of those top four or five teams at the tournament. And I think our recruiting reflects that, you know, our first two classes were number 12th ranked and number ninth ranked. Um, I remind our staff and our alumni, like, that's great that they're ranked coming in. Our job is what are they ranked when they leave, you know, four or five years from now. (laughs) That's the work, right, that, that we're responsible for, and we take that responsibility very seriously. Um, coach Slay and I talk about um, being the, as coaches, you know, being the caretakers of someone else's dreams. And if you stop and realize the, you know, the magnitude of what we're doing, you know, here's a young person who has dreams and aspirations, what they want to accomplish in their sport, in their life. Um, and and we're, the, we're the caretakers of those, to work with them to, to realize that. So you know, kind of that's the, the belief that, you know, the responsibility that I feel as a coach. Um, so along the way, you know, towards those results, um, I think we can accomplish, um, you know, setting the kind of attitudes that people will take, you know, well after they're done wrestling, you know, into their professional lives, into their communities, um, to have a no limits mentality, to be nimble in their thinking you know, to be really empathetic in their communities, right? So, you know, in addition to those competitive results, Jake, those other attributes of, you know, helping foster the best in people and putting them out in the world, you know, to make a really positive impact um, in whatever industry they choose to work in, whatever community they choose to live in. Ultimately, that's our, that's our responsibility um, on the mat and off the mat. So, so our goals are extremely high in, in both both areas. No, I, I, I'm glad to hear it. I, I think we lost you, Coach. Give me one moment, see if we can get him back on to finish up. All right, I think I lost you there for a moment, Coach. Yeah, I'm blinked off for a minute. Yeah, well, um, I'm – I love to hear that, you know, that there's a very holistic, you know, vision for the future of, of UPenn wrestling, you know, and I think one of the things you shared a little bit before uh, with me about like, you know, the vision isn't just about collegiate wrestling. There's also a senior level, a world Olympic level aspect to that. Um, you know, why do you think that's a significant um, part of the vision or why would that be something that you would, 
you would include and why do you think that, you know, how do you think that helps the program or the athletes to have that be a very explicit part of the vision? Yeah. Well, it comes from experience, Jake. Um, you know, we've had, you know, decades of experience of having Olympic level athletes in and around the Penn program. Um, you know, we had the, the case in the, you know, Brandon Slay making the Olympic team where he wrestled our assistant coach, Brian Dolph in the finals of the Olympic trials. So there's two of our guys, you know, meeting in the finals, um, you know, and that's not random, right? Those guys train together. They train themselves up. So the Olympic level guys, you know, we've got Joey McKenna, we've got Ethan Lezak and Dan Valamont, um, Chase Pammy just retired, Richard Perry just retired, BJ Futrell just retired. And, you know, we're in process of, of new RTC athletes coming on board. Um, we had an announcement last week with Dave McFadden, a four-time All-American from Virginia Tech coming in. Uh, ben Honus, who was a U.S. Open freestyle finalist, upperweight, uh, joining on board with us. Um, so these provide this next level opportunity for guys to train with and compete with um, and be mentored by, you know, on and off the mat. Um, so all the things we've talked about here, you know, the mindset, um, for example, you know, for our young guys to be able to talk to Joey McKenna, you know, about the, the rematch with Yanni in Dallas in December, you know, they, they met in the finals of the NCAA championships and Yanni won that. And then, you know, what was Joey's mindset going into the rematch in Dallas where, you know, where he won that match over Yanni in the, the Olympic trials qualifier to make the finals. Um, so to be able to tap into that for a Doug Zaff or a Michael Colioco or Carmen Ferrante and our lightweights who train with, with Joey uh, is incredibly valuable. So it's the physical training, but it's also the mentoring, the friendship, um, you know, and the mental aspect, the mental preparation that these elite athletes uh, bring to bring to the, the Penn team and the Drexel team, because we partner with Drexel in our Pennsylvania Regional Training Center. And it's also uh, really important because another one of our values is, is the community and community matters. You know, so to have these athletes, you know, serve the kids and the coaches in the Beat the Streets programs around Philly and those young kids that are just learning about wrestling. Their schools didn't have wrestling 10 years ago. And so to help those uh, programs develop and, and foster that kind of community impact, it's also something we expect. We, we appreciate, but we also expect it out of our senior athletes. And, and Coach Slade does a great job, you know, having them, uh, you know, understand the term of being a servant leader, right? Yeah, and Beat the Streets is definitely something I, you know, we, we both have that's near and dear to our hearts. You know, I've been coaching Beat the Streets for several years now and, um, you know, really seeing wrestling prosper, I think, should be the goal of every wrestler. And, you know, that, that needs to be a focus in all areas. And youth is very, very important. And the fact that so many cities across the country have not had, you know, much in the form of youth wrestling, I think, has been something that's been missed in the past. And, the wrestling community has seen that and really come together to start to provide uh, a lot of quality youth coaching. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed every year beat the streets is starting to produce people that are not just becoming better individuals, which is the end goal, but um, are, are having success at the national level. Um, Angel Garcia here in, in yep. Philadelphia, obviously the yep. first Fargo champion ever from, you know, Philadelphia proper, I believe I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm correct with that. Um, you know, and who's, I believe going to go wrestle at Ryder this coming season. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, seeing that those kind of athletes come out of, of the environments they do, I mean, really should, I mean, that's the end goal for all of us is to see athletes develop as individuals. And, um, you know, I know UPenn has been a, a very 
important part of the transition here in Philadelphia. And I think as either you or someone else ta- uh, termed the, the wrestling ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, let me just, if I could, Jake, just uh, uh, build on that a little bit. Um, Cause we, yeah. we talk about this Philadelphia wrestling ecosystem and, you know, how uh, we can help, um, you know, grow the community, grow the sport at all levels, you know, from the youth and, and club, you know, beat the streets to, you know, the surrounding 250 mile radius of the, the Pennsylvania Olympic Regional Training Center um, to the collegiate programs at Penn and Drexel. So we just feel we're really fortunate to be in this you know, geographic environment where we've got two Division One programs that are side by side, uh, Drexel's campus and Penn's campus literally border each other. And then within Philadelphia, we've got the Beat the Streets program, you know, now serving over 1,200 kids in, you know, 30 different locations, you know, growing the sport of wrestling. Um, and then the college programs, the PRTC and the Beat the Streets. And what's the synergy that we can create between these organizations to help the sport at all levels? Um, so we're really excited. And I think it's, you know, it continues to be a work in progress. Uh, but I, we really don't think that there's, there's another place in the country that's geographically located to provide these kinds of opportunities in, in such a strong hotbed of wrestling, you know, already with Pennsylvania and New Jersey and the, and the surrounding states. So it's an incredibly exciting time. Um, I'll share with you and with uh, the audience here that Philadelphia we have put in to host the NCAA championships in Philadelphia. Um, so it's been a, it's a very competitive bid cycle. Um, it's two, uh, 2023 through 2026. Um, but Philadelphia is one of the contenders and, you know, we hope that the, the NCAA championships will come back here and we'll have a, a great opportunity to celebrate this Philly wrestling ecosystem. Yeah, that would be, that would be wonderful and great. Um, well, coach uh, Reyna, I really appreciate your time and your knowledge and uh, you taking some time to share with us and I wish you all the best in the future and uh, the best to the university of Pennsylvania's program. And um, thanks for coming on and will you, will you stay safe. Stay safe, be strong. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.